Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is God's word. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Amen. I'd like to give you five Christmas words to think about tonight as you enter this uh, time of celebration. And they are revelation, incarnation, salvation, expectation, exaltation, and expectation. Now let me give them to you again. Revelation, incarnation, salvation, exaltation, and expectation. All right, the first thing to know tonight about the coming of Jesus is that the Lord Jesus is the perfect, the ultimate, and the final revelation of God. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Here at Lessons and Carols every year, we read many lessons from the Old Testament, the time of expectation, the time of, of pictures and shadows, foreshadowing uh, what was to come. The heavens declare the glory of God. God has always been speaking through his creation from the very beginning. Uh, God has spoken through his saving actions in history. Think about the, the birth of Isaac. You think about the, the parting of the Red Sea waters. God spoke uh, through appearing, appearing to different people in different forms. Think about the burning bush or the, uh, the glory cloud that filled the temple, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. The angel of the Lord spoke with Abraham and others. And God also spoke verbally. He spoke through his inspired messengers who proclaimed his word to kings like Samuel and Elijah. Some composed his written and scripturated word. Men like Isaiah. We've read some of those scriptures tonight. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, but in these last days, he's spoken to us in a different way. He's spoken to us by his son. As the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. John says, glorious of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews says. And the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, 
there's one place to look, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. In him, God has spoken the ultimate word. He has has disclosed himself to us in the ultimate way by coming in person to be with us. That brings up the second word then, which is incarnation. Incarnation. So unlike all those Old Testament ways that God spoke in the past, the birth of Jesus was different. The birth of Jesus was God himself breaking in to his creation in a way that he had never done before, never in all of history. The baby born that night and laid in that manger, Hebrews identifies here as the one through whom God the Father created the world, the heir of all things, the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so it's showing that that there's a distinction between God the Father and God the Son. The Father is, is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, as Christians of the early centuries of the church like to say. And yet, the things that are said here about the Son are things that can only be said of God. This is the great mystery at the center of the Christian faith, the mystery of the Trinity, which leads us directly to the mystery of the Incarnation. Remember from last Sunday, that wonderful prayer of Jesus, the night before he went to the cross, when he prayed, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, the coming of Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, but you ask how? How was God revealing himself? And here's the answer. It is revelation by incarnation. Revelation by incarnation. And then the third word I gave you is salvation. Revelation and incarnation describe, maybe you could say, the essence of Jesus' coming. This third word describes the purpose of Jesus' coming. This passage I've read uh, focuses primarily on who Jesus was eternally before he became man. And then it focuses on what happened later after his life and ministry and work on earth concluded. But in the middle, the author touches down very briefly um, in that short phrase in the middle of verse 3 where he says, after making purification for sins. After making purifications for sins. And that's going to turn out to be a major theme of the whole book of Hebrews. um, That Christ, our high priest, laid down his life as a sacrifice to satisfy God's justice against our sins, to to take on himself the punishment our sins deserved in our place, to purify us by offering not the blood of a lamb or a bull like his Old Testament counterparts, predecessors had done for so many centuries, but by doing something completely unique, by offering his own blood, the only blood that could actually take away any sins at all. That is the reason, Hebrews gives, the reason that Jesus came. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, Paul tells Timothy. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
of whom I am the foremost. In other words, Jesus did not come merely to be an inspirational story. That's not why Jesus came. He came to be our sacrificial lamb. Jesus did not come just to be a baby in a manger. He came to become the man on the cross. Jesus did not come to make us sentimental. Jesus came to set us free. Set us free from sin, to set us free from shame, from guilt, from all of the chains that have wrapped us tight because of the ways that we have rebelled against God. Jesus came to set us free from all of that, to give us light and life instead of darkness and death that come naturally to us. That is why Jesus came. That forgiveness and freedom and that forever life with God is exactly what he promises, by the way, to everyone, young and old, of every walk of life, who comes to him in faith. Comes to him in faith and says, My only comfort, my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong, body and soul, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation, incarnation, salvation. The fourth word is exaltation. So just as the nativity scene was not the end of the story, we always need to look ahead from the manger to the cross if we want to understand the manger properly. In the same way, the cross is not the end of the story either. Here what Hebrews does, it sort of expands our vision here, showing us that Jesus did not just come to be the ultimate prophet, the ultimate God revealer. He did not come just to be the ultimate priest, the God reconciler. Jesus Christ is our prophet, our priest, and what else? He is our king. So we've talked about the essence of Jesus coming, revelation and incarnation. We've talked about the reason for Jesus coming, salvation. This, we could say, is the, is the destiny of Jesus coming, which is exaltation. It's glory, it's victory beyond the grave. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation says, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, King of kings and Lord of lords. That is who Jesus came to be. So the angels who announced his birth to the shepherds outside Bethlehem were announcing the birth of one who was not going to stay in that lowly manger in Bethlehem. No, he was one day going to ascend into heaven, sit down, in that position of authority and glory, as much superior to those angels as the name that he has inherited from the Father is more excellent than theirs. The name that is above every name, Paul says in Philippians 2. So that what? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That brings us then to the fifth word, which is expectation. Expectation. Real highlight of this year for me um, has been the adult Sunday school class we've been going through on the book of uh, 
Revelation. And a lot of people know, of course, Revelation is a book, uh, generally speaking, it's about the end times. It's what it's famous for. It's about the second coming, second coming of Christ. Now, this may surprise you to think about. Christmas time, as it turns out, is, is really a, a great time to think about the return of Christ. What better occasion to look ahead to the second coming of Christ than when we're looking back and celebrating Christ's first coming, right? So it should not be a surprise to us. Hebrews begins this passage, begins the book by describing the coming of Jesus as what we like to call an eschatological. There's the word eschatology in there. An eschatological. That is to say, an end time, last days thing. That is what Christmas time is. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, he says. But in these last days, the days this author and his audience were living in, the days that we are living in today... Hebrews is reminding us that we, like the church for the past 2,000 years, are now indeed living in the last days of God's plan. The last days that were inaugurated once and for all when Jesus Christ broke into the history of his creation in the incarnation. As that great revelation directed towards our salvation and ending in his exaltation leaving the church for all time to come with this sense of eager expectation for him to come again. As Hebrews will say later in chapter 9, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, because that work is finished once and for all, but to save those who are eagerly waiting. For him. See, the birth of Jesus was the first line in the last chapter of history. The final future that the prophets had looked forward to for all of those centuries had now at last begun. And it is that first coming of Christ which teaches us then to look forward. To his second coming. We are people who are living in the last days, living in that last chapter of God's plan for all things, waiting for the new creation. He has spoken to us by his son. The question is are we listening to that word of God made flesh? Hebrews 12 gives us a sober warning see that you do not refuse. Him who is speaking. He's also told us how the story ends. And the question there is, are we eagerly waiting for that ending? So I encourage you all tonight, let not just the memory of the birth of Jesus fill your hearts in this time of celebration together, but but the hope and the longing for his return, for the rebirth of all creation when he does return. As people of God, never forget that Christmas is eschatological. 
that Christmas is an end time, last days festival for the people of God. And so I wish you all tonight a very merry and eschatological Christmas. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks once again for Christ's first coming. And we give you thanks for the hope of his second coming. We give you thanks he has indeed made purification for sins and sat down at your right hand. We look forward to his coming as we say together tonight, come Lord Jesus, and bring in that new creation that we're looking forward to. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.